Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Retail king Walmart is slashing its profit projections substantially. What does this tell us about a potential coming recession? The CHIPS Act, a home run for Congress. One expert says it's a strikeout. The European Union puts together an emergency plan to tackle the gas crisis there. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here for NTD Business. Higher prices are eating into American savings. With inflation now at a 40-year high, people are struggling to keep up. That means many are saving less. In fact, 40% can't put any money into savings at all, according to American Consumer Credit Counseling. A separate study by LendingTree found that nearly half of all Americans are falling deeper into debt. 43% expect to add to their debt in the next half year just to make ends meet. That's especially so for young adults and people with young children. The report found that most will rely on credit cards to bridge the gap. Bad news. And the Senate advanced a bill that could help the manufacturing sector deal with the infamous chip shortage. Today, senators took a key vote to advance the CHIPS Act. It passed pretty easily, 64 to 32. It's legislation that would boost semiconductor chip production here in the states. The bill would pour over $50 billion into domestic semiconductor manufacturing, research and development. The move is supposed to make the U.S. less reliant on countries like China. The Senate now expected to vote on the bill this week. Then it will go to the House for approval. Here to talk to entities Don Ma about the bill is Dustin Carmack. He is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Dustin, thanks for being here. Let's talk about the CHIPS Act. The U.S. wants to be more competitive, less dependent on China for semiconductors, right? So I guess, Dustin, the question is, is the CHIPS Act going to do it? No, I don't believe so. I think really Congress has a great opportunity to hit a home run and ended up uh, striking out looking because we had an opportunity to really advance uh, what was wrong with a lot of parts of our economy uh, to be able to make semiconductor fabrication here more competitive. Uh, And I understand the geographical concerns uh, to an extent with overproduction uh, and and, uh, capabilities in Taiwan only. Um, But I believe that we could do better uh, than just subsidizing uh, industries uh, that I don't believe will uh, actually turn any uh, kind of operations off uh, in China. And why do you say that, the subsidizations? Well, I believe that the the guardrails in the package, uh, as they currently sit, allow too many loopholes for essentially the same companies that are going to be using them to expand operations here to simultaneously expand their operations and, and advance uh, semiconductor capabilities in China. So if the effort is to try to counter and, and kneecap uh, China's capabilities, then I don't think this this bill does it. Now, China subsidizes their own companies, right, to be more competitive. So why shouldn't the U.S. do it? Well, I think that just gets you into a race uh, of oversubsidizing everybody. So the question revolves around what are we doing that are a lot of times harder policy solutions, but it's easier to just to spend money. The U.S. has such strong capabilities to build trade partnerships, to build friend shoring capabilities for all parts of the ecosystem for semiconductors to actually develop a more secure supply chain. And this really missed that opportunity. So then, in your opinion, what would be the best way to compete and depend less on China? 
Well, I think there's a few things that you can do. I think you could definitely unleash American energy production uh, because at the end of the day, these energy, uh, the energy usage of these fabs is immense. And another main area too is that uh, usually the fabrication uh, permitting process, uh, it takes anywhere from five to seven years. This bill does nothing to fix the problems of regulation and red tape that keeps these industries from moving and, and, and getting online faster. And those cost money. And so we're not really advancing that. We're essentially just creating a, a grant program through the Department of Commerce trying to solve this. And it's more complicated than that. And there are areas where I do think that the, the government has a role. And that's in the defense and intelligence community space to make sure that we have a stable, secure supply for our warfighters. Now, there's a lot of people that support the bill. So I guess just one last question, Dustin. What, in your opinion, is the biggest problem with this bill? You know, I think at the end of the day, I think it just misses the ball on, on really trying to create an economic incentive pattern here in the United States uh, for not just the development of semiconductors, but an entire ecosystem of advanced technologies that we need to beat China in. We need to be talking to our friends. I mean, the Chinese operate heavily via the Belt and Road Initiative in areas such as Africa, South America, Central America. What are we doing to advance the ball from a foreign policy and investment uh, 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 framework to be able to actually get a broader semiconductor industry and ecosystem that develops those kind of geopolitical uh, secure supply chains that we would like to see. I see. Well, thanks for your opinion. Dustin Carmack, Research Fellow, Heritage Foundation, thanks for coming on. Thank you. And another sign the U.S. and China are decoupling. E-commerce supergiant Alibaba is seeking a primary listing in Hong Kong. That means the Hong Kong Stock Exchange would be the main stock exchange Alibaba stock would be traded on. The news comes as over 250 Chinese companies could be kicked off U.S. exchanges. The U.S. and China disagree over auditing standards for these companies. An audit is an official, inf is an official inspection of a company's financial records that just make sure there are no inaccuracies or fraud. It's pretty standard procedure, but back in 2020, former President Trump banned trading shares of foreign companies that wouldn't let U.S. regulators inspect their audit papers for three years in a row. And those companies' time is almost up. If all these firms are indeed kicked out, Alibaba's actions could serve as a roadmap for them. They could all move their primary listings from the United States to Hong Kong. The Biden administration today says it'll sell 20 million more barrels of oil from the U.S. Reserve. It's a part of a previous plan aiming to bring down gas prices here in the States. The White House had planned to release 1 million barrels per day for six months. So far, it's sold 125 million barrels. Some of them, though, apparently went to other countries, including China. We have more on that in just a moment. The government estimates the release helped cut gas prices by 40 cents per gallon than what they would have been otherwise. Overall, the price for a gallon of regular is down about 70 cents from its recent high, but it's still over more than a dollar more than it was a year ago. Meanwhile, the oil reserve has sunk to its lowest level in four decades. The Department of Energy says it'll start putting oil back into the reserve this fall. We have more details on that U.S. reserve oil that's been sold to China. A company buying it has ties to the Chinese Communist Party and to Hunter Biden. Here's the story. Records show the Biden administration has sold nearly 6 million barrels of oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserve to an entity with ties to the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. 
From September 2021 to July 2022, the Department of Energy, or DOE, has awarded three crude oil contracts worth over $460 million to Unipec America. Unipec is the U.S. trading arm of Chinese state-owned oil company Sinopec, but the Unipec contracts have been criticized as the firm's connections to Hunter Biden came into focus in recent weeks. Republican Representative James Comer previously told the Epic Times that under no circumstances should the Department of Energy be making decisions which financially benefit Hunter Biden or any of the Biden family's business partners. Last week, a special assistant to President Biden answered to criticism about selling oil to China, saying the DOE is required by law to sell it in a competitive auction to the highest bidder, regardless of whether that bidder is a foreign company. However, the April and July purchases cost Unipec around $103 and $119 per barrel, respectively. The highest prices offered by comparison were roughly $111 and $125. That's according to a review of DOE contracts by the Epic Times. Republican lawmakers have been watching the oil sales with growing alarm. Last week, over 200 House Republicans voted in support of legislation aimed at preventing oil sales to entities with ties to the CCP. Supporting this language is common sense, especially since uh, we need to focus, our increase, focus on increasing energy production and not supporting from our adversaries while Americans are still suffering from outrageously high fuel prices here at home. These reserves are meant to be used for emergencies only. The legislation failed after Democrats unanimously opposed it. And U.S. stocks ended sharply lower today. Profit warning by Walmart dragged down retail shares. We have that more on that in just a moment. The Dow fell 229 points, 7 tenths of a percent. S&P 500 dropped 46 points, 1 and 2 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq lost 220 points, 1 and 9 tenths of a percent today. E-commerce company Shopify is laying off about 10% of its workers. Company CEO said he made the wrong bet about how long the pandemic online shopping boom would last. Shopify was one of the biggest winners during the pandemic. It bet that online spending would leap ahead by 5 or 10 years, and so it staffed up accordingly. But now its CEO says it's clear that bet didn't pay off, and they're seeing numbers revert back to where pre-COVID data suggested they should be at this point. Shopify shares fell 14% today after news of layoffs. It's down 77% so far this year. It'll report second quarter earnings tomorrow. And as we said, Walmart is now cutting its second quarter profit projections, which one analyst says signals a, quote, train wreck for other retailers. Walmart is the biggest company in the entire world by revenue, so its performance is a key indicator of what's happening in the economy and what's possibly to come. And the Italian Richards has more. Walmart, the biggest company in the world by annual revenue, has slashed its profit outlook. It says previous projections for second quarter earnings per share may decline 8% to 9%, and that full-year adjusted earnings per share may decline 11% to 13%. It says that food inflation is in the double digits, and because customers have to spend much more on food, they have very little to spend on everything else. Walmart says it now has to lower prices on its inventory, particularly apparel. That's what normally happens in a cycle. So prices go up, demand gets destroyed, companies suffer not only on the cost side, their costs going up of inflation, but their revenue side starts coming down and they start losing sales. So what do they do? They cut prices. Mohammed El Aryan is chief economic advisor at Allianz. El Aryan says this is why he believes we've reached the peak of inflation. The issue is going to shift very quickly to 
the recession risk, the risk of recession is is unfortunately high. Because Walmart is so big, its performance is considered an indicator of what's happening in the overall economy, as well as a predictor of what's to come. As the lower income individuals are affected by recession, they're going to move to government payments, more government subsidies. That increases government spending, which, uh, since it's not taxed anymore, increases government borrowing. And that's going to lead to higher interest rates, which then, you know, affects capital spending. John Dunham is the president of John Dunham and Associates, an economic research firm. Dunham says less consumption hurts the recorded GDP numbers. Dunham believes we're already in a recession, even though second quarter numbers aren't out yet. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And General Motors is preparing for a possible recession. That means America's largest automaker is cutting back on spending and hiring. Company CEO says it's worried about the economy on top of the impact of COVID lockdowns in China, which caused factory shutdowns, hampering GM's earnings. The second quarter reported adjusted earnings fell about $60 million short of forecast, though revenue was up because limited supply and strong demand drove up prices. The automaker told investors it expects to hit its full-year earnings target. Higher prices at McDonald's are not keeping people from buying Big Macs and quarter pounders, it seems. Quite the opposite. Today, McDonald's reported a 3.7% jump in sales in the second quarter. That's despite higher prices on the menu. The chain attributes the jump to those higher prices, as well as value offerings on its regular menu app and through its app. McDonald's says it's also been trying to keep the edge off prices through freebie giveaways and celebrity-driven collaborations. And despite the sales jump, the restaurant's CEO is keeping an eye on the economy. He says McDonald's is planning on a wide range of scenarios when it comes to inflation. Airlines cancelled and delayed flights across the country on Monday. Disruptions are due to bad weather on the East Coast. The flight tracker known as Flight Aware reports that over 1,000 flights were cancelled by Monday afternoon and more than 4,500 flights were delayed. Flight Aware data shows LaGuardia and Newark airports in the New York metro area and Reagan National near Washington, D.C. were the hardest hit. Love Field in Dallas also saw departing flights cancelled after a shooting incident. Flights are also getting cancelled because there aren't enough pilots to fly the skies. Lawmakers have an idea on how to fix the pilot shortage, but will it work? Denise Filzo has the story. Ready for takeoff? Actually, no, because there aren't enough pilots to go around. Delays and cancel flights. Airline pilots are in short supply, and right now it's mandatory that pilots retire by the age of 65. But a group of lawmakers want to raise that retirement age to 67 so the current pilots that we do have can stay on the job longer. Raising the retirement age is honestly nothing more than just a band-aid to a much larger problem. Josh Yoder is an active commercial pilot flying with one of the biggest airlines in the U.S. He's also the co-founder of U.S. Freedom Flyers. All this does is just uh, prolong the prolong the issue. Um, and, you know, two years from now, we're, we're going to be back in the exact same boat that we are today. Raising the retirement age can also bring about other problems, says David Noletti, 
aerospace and defense lead at consulting firm Riveron. When you have very senior pilots who are able to stay on longer, it does limit younger pilots' ability to move up uh, in, in, the, um, in the system, and that affects their pay. It affects their uh, kind of quality of life. Noletti says the life of a pilot is not as attractive as it used to be. Work is getting harder, but the salaries are not going much higher. You know, potentially dangerous conditions, lots of things can go wrong, lots of difficult weather. Uh, and I think the airline industry is going to have to increase pay um, to encourage people who want to fly uh, to go through the training, to get the experience. We're experiencing something called reassignment, where you think you're going to Los Angeles, but then you end up in, you know, Milwaukee, and maybe you end up coming home a day late. And, and there's no... Um, there's no um, schedule integrity, you know, that, that's, that's no longer being maintained, and that's, that's a very frustrating thing for the crews. One U.S. senator supporting the proposal says 14,000 pilots will be forced to retire in the next four years if we don't raise the requirement. Phil Zoe, NTD News. And the European Union has put together a plan to avoid a winter crisis due to massive reduction in gas supplies from Russia. Anthony Sean Marshall has more. European Union countries approved an emergency plan to curb their gas demands on Tuesday as they brace for further Russian reductions in supply. The winter is coming uh, and we don't know how cold it will be, but what we know for sure that Putin will continue to play his uh, dirty games uh, in misusing and blackmailing uh, by uh, gas supplies. Europe faces an increased gas squeeze starting Wednesday when Russia's Gazprom has said it will cut flows through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany to a fifth of capacity. Energy ministers approved a proposal for all EU countries to voluntarily cut gas by 15% from August to March. If we all put in the effort that it's asked, we, we do enough to, to uh, successfully survive the winter. But looking into the future, of course, uh, uh, Losing all dependence on Russian uh, energy, it's essential. Estonia has always supported and acted uh, according to that. Levels vary between countries, but the EU has reduced its combined gas use by only 5%, despite months of soaring prices and dwindling Russian supplies. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Tough situation. Still to come, stay with us. Klondike saying goodbye to one of his ice cream treats after 40 years but fans still have hope it'll be brought back. Businesses in a small Missouri town battling it out, trading barbs in a sign war. With that and much more, coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Chipotle is getting in on crypto. It is a new game called Buy the Dip. And yes, guac and queso dip are involved here. All you have to do is go on the company's website where you play to win free cryptocurrency or promo codes for guacamole or their tasty cheese dip. 
company says it will give away more than $200,000 in five types of digital currency. The move comes as Chipotle starts accepting 98 different cryptocurrencies at its restaurants. You have only until Sunday to play, though. And meanwhile, we'll have to say goodbye to the Choco Taco. Klondike says it's discontinued the taco-shaped ice cream treat. Choco Tacos have been around since the 80s, but the company says they're not as popular as other products these days. Fans are already taken to social media, though, with comments like Choco Taco has fallen and they always take the best things away from us. There's still hope, though. One of Reddit's co-founders tweeted an offer to Klondike parent company to buy the rights to Choco Tacos. There you go. And locals in a small Missouri town are getting a kick out of sign war between businesses. It started with McDonald's and Dairy Queen, but now even the bank and the tire guy have joined it. Here's the story. An employee at McDonald's in Marshfield, Missouri, recently started a sign war with Dairy Queen, or DQ, across the street. Before long, the whole town was in on it. McDonald's kicked off the war of words. Hey, DQ, want to have a sign war? DQ took the challenge and responded, we would, but we're too busy making ice cream. McDonald's replied, that's cute. Our ice cream makes itself. DQ quipped, you mean it actually works? Shocker. DQ teased McDonald's infamous ice cream machine known for breaking down frequently. McDonald's responded, wow, salty like our world famous fries. DQ mocked McDonald's, why dine with a clown when you can dine with a queen? Other businesses also joined in on the fun, too. Arvest Bank chimed in, ice cream machine broken? We have a loan for that. Wendy's joked about McDonald's fries. Hot and crispy fries don't arch. Las Cazuelas Mexican restaurant hung a sign saying, we have fried ice cream. Domino's Pizza teased, your signs are cheesy, just like our pizza. The tire service guy held up a sign saying, this sign war is so much fun. We are not tired of it. Kimberly Browning Clift is president of the Marshfield Area Chamber of Commerce. She says it's all about fun. I know that our community is tight knit, and I think that people just love to have fun here, and it's just lighthearted, and so it was really exciting to see the camaraderie and the, the wittiness, <laughs> what they came up with. So, the sign war has been heating up for a few weeks. As of Monday, Browning Clift says she spotted another new sign. Reporting by Angela Moy, NZD News. And hotel booking website Hotels.com is paying one lucky traveler and their guests to visit the company's top 10 retro beach motels. The lucky winner will receive a $10,000 tra travel stipend plus a $5,000 salary. Hotels.com will also provide a cooler, a solar-powered radio, a Polaroid camera, high SPF, zinc, sunglasses, and umbrellas. The motels have guest ratings of 7.5 or higher, determined by design, location, and value. Some of the featured locations include the Montauk Beach House on New York's Long Island, Cambria Beach House in California, and Waikiki Village Retro Hotel in Myrtle Beach. You can sign up by going to hotels.com slash beachmotel. You have to uh, August 5th to apply. The winner will be informed by August 12th. That's the latest of the Entity Business Team. I'm myself, Paul Graney. You can follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. And if you have any news, tips, or feedback for this show, you can email us at business at That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.